You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. If you have a copy of Scripture, I encourage you today to turn into the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 10. We're going to finish up uh, chapter 10 today. And so I'd encourage you to open up, uh, open up to follow along as, as we walk through the passage. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to take that Black Pew Bible there, right, right there in front of you. You can turn it to page 958, and you'll be able to, again, follow along as we walk through God's Word together. Um, we feel that, we believe that God's Word is, is alive and active and works on our hearts and so we, we just encourage, encourage you to dig deep into God's word as we, uh, as we just walk through this passage together. Many of us have scriptures that we go back to often, right? They're just, whether it's, whether it's a scripture that you find comfort in, whether it's a, a portion of scripture or verses that you just go to when, when, life is, when life is hard or a promise that you like to claim often, um, we all have those, those portions of the Bible that we just we find ourselves going back to time and time again. One, one of those portions for me is actually that portion that Pastor Mike read, read this morning from, from John 14 through 17. Um, those chapters are known as the upper room discourse. They're literally Jesus' last words to his followers uh, before he would be arrested and crucified the very next day. And so in John 17, Jesus actually prays over his, his disciples. And not only for the 11 that remained with him at that time, uh, but for all who would believe in Jesus and follow him afterwards, including you and I as we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus. So I want to I wanna, I wanna just show what Jesus prayed. So in John 17, verses 15 through 18, Jesus prays these things. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. See, church, Jesus doesn't pray that we be taken out of the world. Christianity isn't about just being separate and, and, and other than the world around us. He didn't, he didn't call us just to, be, just to be taken out from it, but he, he actually sends us into the world for a purpose and a mission um, to show God's love and salvation for people who don't know Jesus yet. This echoes what Jesus says on, on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. It says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, many of us, as we heard those, those two portions of Scripture, we, we would affirm and agree with those things. How many of you think this morning that your purpose and mission is to show others who Jesus is and to do good, good, good works in front of them? Raise your hand if that's why you're here. Yes, that is why we are here. But if we're honest, many of us in this room, while we would agree with that, many of us question, how do we faithfully follow Jesus in a fallen world? Where is that line? How do we do that? How do we respond to a family member or a friend who just came out as a homosexual? How do we handle the topics of alcohol and substance abuse with people around us? 
How do we respond to secular music or media? How do we approach alternative lifestyles or people of other faiths? Church, this morning I want to address what it could look like to faithfully love the people and places God has called us to with, while without losing our testimony and living like the world. The Apostle Paul this morning is going to give us two things, two principles in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 11, 1. Two principles that will guide our actions and provide us some clarity as we rub shoulders with people who don't know Jesus. And this, this morning we'll see that God has called us to, love, to live for the good of our neighbor and the glory of God. These are the two principles that we're going to be reminded of this morning. So let's pray. Then we're going to dig into this text. Father God, as we've already lifted our voices in praise to you today, as we've already read some scripture and prayed this morning, Father, I pray now, Lord, that we would just prepare our hearts for what you have for us today. God, your word, your word says that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord, that cuts, Lord, to, to the bone and the marrow, and it, and it speaks, God, directly to our hearts and to our situations. And God, there are people here today, myself included, that we don't know how to follow you faithfully and as we rub shoulders with people who don't know and love your son, Jesus. God, we lack wisdom in, in how do we live and how do we love the places and the people, God, where you have placed us. But I'm so thankful, God, that your word isn't silent and that, God, it speaks into our lives and that it gives us principles to live by and and as you have promised that you're going to walk with us, Father, I pray, Lord, that even now that you would give us wisdom, God, so that we could leave this place, that we would live for the good of our neighbor and for the glory of God. So, God, be with us now as we open up this text. God, I pray, Lord, that I would get out of the way and, they would, and, and, and our church family, God, would just see the splendor of the gospel and see, Lord, that it is a solid rock to stand on, Father, as we, as we just do life with people who don't know you yet. So God, bless this time. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen. So church, the first principle that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 10 is that we are to live for the good of our neighbor. Let's, let's look at the first uh, two verses there, verses 23 and 24. And Paul says, all things are lawful. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. See, church, that phrase, all things are lawful, and some, in some, some of your Bibles, those may be, you know, in quotes. All things are lawful was actually a slogan that the, the Corinthians used, basically saying that I can do whatever I want. Does that sound familiar? Do we, don't we live in a, in a culture that says, hey, as long as it's not against the law or as long as it's cultural, culturally acceptable, I can do whatever I please. I just love the fact that, man, this was written so long ago, but it still speaks into our culture and society today. But Paul says, yes, while it is true that you can do many, many things, but let's, let's qualify something. 
He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. Not all, he says, all things are lawful, but not everything builds up. So he says, let's qualify that statement. And basically what Paul is saying here is that he points to our actions and say actions have consequences. They can either build someone up, they can be beneficial to them, or, the, or our actions can harm them and break someone down. He says actions always have consequences. And in a world where, where we are told over and over again to just think for yourself, do what's best for you, Paul says, Let, let's pump the brakes a little bit. And let's understand that as we, as we live in a world with people who don't know Jesus yet, our actions impact their lives. So let's think about that. And so Paul says, not only do we, do we understand that our actions have consequences, but then he says that, listen, we're called to live radically different lives than the world around us. In verse 24 it says, instead of seeking what only benefits you, God calls us to seek the good of our neighbor. He says, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Now, it's been asked, who's my neighbor? These are the people that God has placed around you. And, and, and I would bring out the point here because in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul talks about, hey, do what's good for the body of Christ, for the other believers around you. Paul doesn't use that word here. Paul uses the word neighbor, even a broader term that literally just means the people God has placed around you. As you go throughout your week, those are your neighbors, the people that you work with, the people that you literally live next to your friends, your family, people at Target, people at Walmart, people at the grocery store, whatever it may be, those are your neighbors. And we are to seek their good. We are to, we are to seek to be a blessing. And this, this isn't just a one-off command in Scripture. We see it repeated often, especially throughout the, the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Don't just think about yourself. Think about those people around you. Romans chapter 15, verse 2 says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So the main idea here, it's not about you. I'm not here to burst your bubble. I'm not here to hurt your feelings. But listen, life isn't just about you. We've got to be thinking about those people around us. And the first way that we think about, the, about our neighbors is that we long to be a blessing. We long to be a blessing to them. I want you to think about something. When was the last time someone showed you kindness? Let's think. Go, go back to that moment when someone went out of their way to be a blessing to you. How did that make you feel? How did that change your day? How did that change maybe your week, your month, or your year? See, in a world where most people are looking out for themselves, seeking to help and bless your neighbor can make a huge impact on their lives. Huge impact. So I want you to think about looking for ways and opportunities to bless those people around you. That's your mindset as you go into each day. How can I be a blessing to someone else? 
Let me give, give you some tangible examples here. Next time you're circling the, the parking lot, Target or Walmart or, or the grocery store, and there is one spot and two cars. You ever been in that moment where you're, you're, you're in your car and there's that one spot and you're coming this way and someone else is coming the other way and you kind of make eye contact but it is mine, sister, and you just go right in? No, you're not getting me today. I don't care how many kids you got. I'm going in. Let them have that spot. Yesterday, we spent the afternoon at Knoebels, and that parking lot was insane. We got there at like 3. We parked. I don't even think it was their property anymore. It was way out there. And we did. We tried to, like, let's sneak in and let's whatever. And I was like, let's just go in the back where normal people park. Let's not try to, like, let's, let's not try to take someone else's spot or whatever it may be. Look to be a blessing in tangible, tangible ways. When you hear of a neighbor or unsafe friend who is sick, offer to make them a meal. And if they're not too sick, offer to eat it with them. Don't be like, I mean, if they have some like crazy, you know, whatever, don't be getting it, getting it yourself. Be smart. But people that are, man, think about people that, that are sick, and sometimes they're just lonely. And just eating a meal with that person would completely change their day. Maybe for some of you, it simply is you're, you're at work and one, one of your coworkers just needs to vent. And instead of just blowing them off and saying, listen, they got their, I got my own problems, just offer to listen and encourage them. Like, just be a listening ear. Look for ways to be a blessing. Folks, our presence in unsaved people's lives should bring light to, to darkness and improve the lives of those people around us. And I get it. We may not agree with everything that they do. They, as people, that they're, living, they're living far from Jesus, and we should expect no less. But even though we don't agree with them, can we at least do life with them? Can we at least listen and look for ways to be a blessing and long for their good? That's the first thing we do. We long to be a blessing. We look for opportunities make a tangible impact on their lives for the better. Our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our classrooms should be better places because we, as followers of Jesus, are in them. You should be the best worker. You should be the best neighbor. You should be the best friend. And you can do all of those things without ruining your testimony. You can do all of those things while still holding on to your testimony as a follower of Jesus. I strongly believe that. So step number one, long to be a blessing. Step number two, live out the gospel. Live out the gospel. Friends, it has been said that light shines brightest in darkness. And if all of the lights were turned off in this auditorium right now, and I lit one single candle up front here, all of your eyes would be attracted to it. And it's one candle in this vast darkness, but all of our eyes would notice the difference. See, church, amid a sinful culture, we have the opportunity to shine as lights in the darkness and point people toward Jesus. And in, in verses 25 through 28, Paul gives us an example of what living out the gospel really looks like. So let's read verses 25 through 27 together. 
So Paul says this. He says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you, invite, invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Now listen, Paul is giving the Corinthian believers again, this is a letter written to a specific audience who is dealing, who, who continues to deal with this issue of eating meat offered to idols. Now, I don't have the time today to walk through all of chapter 8 and chapter 9 again, but, but know that these Christians were living amongst a people that were part of their pagan worship in Corinth. Was, was having these meals devoted to idols, where they would literally offer sacrifices to an idol and then feast on that meat together as an act of worship to that idol. And Peter, Paul has already talked about the, the personal aspect of it, where, like, listen, you can eat that meat because we know that those idols don't exist. Paul talked about when, when you're around other, other believers, and if one of them... A lot of them came out of that lifestyle and says if, if, if it causes them to struggle or sin or fall back into those practices, be willing to give that right up. But now Paul is talking about, but how do we live amongst unbelievers when it comes to this issue? So in verse 25, he literally says, he's like, listen, so if you're at the grocery store and there's meat there and it's not marked as meat offered to idols. This is normal everyday meat. He says, don't go about questioning it. Questioning it. Don't be like, hey, butcher, where, where did this meat come from? Don't be that person. Listen, we've all been to grocery stores where people are like that at, at that deli counter or meat, or, or meat stand. Don't be that guy or gal. Just buy the meat and eat it as it is a blessing and provision from the Lord for your family. But then, then he also says in verse 27, and as you rub shoulders with unbelievers, some of them are going to ask you to come to their house. Imagine that. You're friendly enough, you build a friendship with them enough, right, that they're like, hey, you're kind of cool, I want to hang out with you. And so they invite you to a party, they invite you to their kid's soccer game, and they invite you to a barbecue, whatever it may be. And so he says, go and eat and enjoy, be a good neighbor, enter into their world, just as Jesus entered into ours. See, part of the message of the gospel is that Christ came down, born of a virgin as a baby, and entered into our world, entered into our space. He was incarnational. He came into, he came into humanity to point them back to God. Friends, we live out the gospel when we enter into the worlds of people who don't know Jesus. That's part. We are doing exactly what Jesus did. And so he said, when you're invited to these things, and you've had a good time, and it's time to eat that meal, and whatever meat they offer there, he's like, don't ask where it came from. For conscious days, don't be like, hey, did that meat come from an idol? No, don't do that. All of us, listen, we, we have young kids. They're growing up all the time. But parents, you know, if you're over someone's house and you got your kids there and they like, they put the food down and you're about to eat and like one of your kids is going to say, what is that? Or I don't like that. Or whatever. You guys ever feel that tension before? Like I have, it's like just shut up and eat it, whatever it may be. You're going to like it. And so every time, yeah, that's, he's like, don't do that. Don't be like, 
kids, ask them, does that come from an idol? It's like, no, just eat. Enjoy. Be a good neighbor. Enter into conversation. Celebrate whatever's going on. Just be normal. But as Paul calls us to live life with people who don't know Jesus, he also says, but be ready to stand up for the gospel. In verse 28, in, in, in verse 28, Paul says this. He says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. So Paul says, listen, if the host says that this food has been offered in sacrifice, then the believers were to abstain and say, I can't do that. See, because by eating, they were affirming and accepting idol worship. They were saying that, hey, yeah, I know you, you don't follow Jesus and you're worshiping these, idol, these other idols, and when you partake of that at that moment, you're saying that that's okay. And you're saying that as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to push my beliefs to the side, and I'm going to affirm and accept this false view of God and this false worship of God. See, what Paul is getting at here is just is the idea of perception. That by eating it, your perception, your neighbor, because it says you're doing it for the sake of their conscience. By eating it, your neighbor thinks, oh, well, I'm okay with God. You know, these people say they follow Jesus and they're close to God, but by doing whatever they're doing, by eating this meat, I'm good with God then too. You guys see where that would be a problem? You guys see where, where that could obviously cause an issue? And church, one of the best things that you and I can do as believers is draw a line in the sand and say, I love you and I want to do life with you, but I cannot do that. And so you ask, well, where is that line? And listen, I can't tell you in every single, in every single circumstance that you're in where that line is for you. I think a lot of it comes down to relying on the Holy Spirit and praying, God, what would you have me do here in this situation? Maybe, maybe being prepared beforehand and thinking, okay, if this happens, how am I going to respond? But I, I will give you three questions to at least give you a little bit of a, of a framework there. First question really is, is this permissible? What, what I mean by that simply is, is this sin? Does God allow me to do this? Is this a black and white issue? And so you ask right off the bat, does, does God's word say I shouldn't be doing this? So we ask, is, is, it permissible? is it permissible? Second thing, is it beneficial? Is it loving and building up my neighbor? Is whatever I'm doing right here, is it, is it helpful for them? Can I enter in, into their space and build them up? But lastly, the question I think that is really addressed here is, will this hurt my testimony? Will this hurt my testimony? In participating or doing whatever this thing is right now, is this going to hurt what they think of me as a follower of Jesus and hinder my opportunity to, to share the gospel with them later on? So is it permissible? Is it beneficial? And will this hurt my testimony? And listen, drawing that line, I'm not saying that, that it's easy, because it's not. Now, over the past year, I have had to turn down to turn down performing two weddings for my friends 
because of my convictions as a follower of Jesus. One wedding was for a lesbian couple that I know well. Like, I know their stories. I know a little bit about their families. But yet when they asked me to marry them, I had to say no. Because by participating in and affirming that, that ceremony, I would, be, I would be putting God's design for marriage to, to the side and saying, this, I affirm and accept what you're doing. And for, for, for another friend who I've worked with at the Olive Garden for over 10 years, asked me to, to perform their wedding, but he asked, he said, Dave, can you do the wedding but not mention God at all? I want it as secular as possible. Like, dude, you're rubbing, running up the wrong tree, but whatever. But I had to have the conversation with him and say, and say, man, I love you, and I'm excited that you're getting married. It is a good thing, but by me not mentioning God, the one who designed marriage, the one, the one who instituted it uh, with Adam and Eve, I can't do that. Because in his mind at that moment, I don't want him to think that I can just push God to, to the side and pull him back later. No, no, no. I'm a follower of Jesus. So we do. We have those hard conversations. But those difficult moments, when we choose to live out the gospel and stand for the truth of God's word, can lead to further conversations. It, see, it gives us an opportunity to share why we don't participate in certain things. It allows us to speak of Jesus and our allegiance to him as the Savior and Lord of our lives. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter 3. These are verses that, that many of you know. But it says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. I just didn't have space on there, but these, these last few words are so important. It says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So if you're going back to the situation in Corinth, if you're at, if you're at a, a neighbor's home and they say, this meat is offered to idols, you don't pick up the plate and throw it against the wall and say, no, 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 no way. Don't throw, don't throw the plates. Don't do it. But it gives you an opportunity to say, hey, with gentleness and respect, say, I can't do this. And don't just leave it there. Say, and here's the reason why. See, I follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And while I love you, and while I still want to do life with you, I can't do this. Do it with gentleness and respect. Listen, we live faithfully in a fallen world by living for the good of our neighbor. We long to be a blessing in their lives, to make a positive impact. And we long to live out the gospel. The second principle we must follow is that we live for the glory of God. See, before we even get to verse 31, I want to I just mention and read through verses 29 and 30. Because listen, Paul understands that even as you, maybe personally, as you walked through um, 
Paul's exhortation to live out the gospel, there's people that would be like, but what about my freedom? But what about my opportunity? What about my interest? And in verse 29, it says, I do not, listen, I don't mean your conscience, but for him. And then they say, but for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Why should I live worried about what other people think? Ain't I, aren't I free to do whatever I want? And then in verse 30, it says, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Hey, if I can just live my life being thankful for God, thankful to God for whatever I'm doing, shouldn't that be enough? Why do I have to think of other people? And Paul says, here's why. Because you don't live for your own glory. You don't live to build up your own kingdom. You are here for a purpose, and it's not to glorify yourself. It is to glorify God. So friends, again, don't want to burst your bubble. Don't want to hurt your feelings. It is not about you, and it's not about me. It's about this world seeing the goodness and holiness and righteousness of God. We live for his glory, not our own. And we see that in verses 10, 31 through, through 11, 1 here. In verse 31, Paul says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. He says, this is why I live my life, for the glory of God. Friends, glorifying God is a term that we use. We use it often. But most of us can't really define it. Is that true? Like, it's just one of those terms where it's like, how do I define glorifying God without saying glorifying God? Like, I actually saw that in, 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 in a dictionary. Glorifying God means glorifying God. It's like, that is not helpful at all. Like, that doesn't help us out one bit, because what does glorifying actually mean? And the best example that I could come up with in my little mind is, is, that, of, is that of glorifying God is like a spotlight. Listen, if you've ever gone to a concert or a comedy show or whatever it may be, they normally put the house lights down, and they put this one big spotlight on, on the, the performer. I'm not saying that the audience doesn't matter, but at that moment... Everyone's focus should be brought on that comedian or on that, or that band or whatever that may be. It's putting a spotlight on someone else. So glorifying God literally means putting the focus and honor not on ourselves but on the Lord for the world to see. So we live, and whatever we eat or drink, we live to put the honor and focus on someone else, not us but on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We live for the glory of God. And I think in, in these verses, there are two ways that you and I can do this. First, simply, we make God look good. Listen, this is not, my, this is not original to me. Pastor Mike came, came up with this a couple years ago, and it, it is just stuck with me because it's so good. See, he used this statement and says, you and I can live for the glory of God by displaying God's character and making God attractive to others. Let's be honest. We've all known Christians who aren't great examples of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And the world always points to those people. That, well, I don't want to be a Christian because of that guy, 
or that lady. We all have them in, in our lives. We all cringe when some of our unsafe friends or neighbors hangs out or around that Christian because it's like, I don't know how that's going to go. I don't know. He says, don't be that. Make God look good. Make him look attractive. Paul says later on that whatever I do, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church. That word offense there literally means don't put up barriers between them and them coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Like, gospel is offensive enough. When we start telling people that they're sinners and that they can't get to heaven on their own, do you think that makes them feel good? No, it doesn't. Like, but, but that, that's truth and that, that's good, but the gospel's offensive enough. Don't do something else to put another obstacle in the way of them coming to faith in Jesus. So that means you show God's love, you show God's character, you show God's, God's goodness that when they think of you, they say, man, I may not be there yet, and I may not believe in this Jesus guy and what he did on the cross, but their lives are different. And I like hanging around them. That should be, that should be our, 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 our M.O., that we make God look good, that others would gravitate toward us because of our actions as we point people to Jesus. So as you go about your day, you ask yourself, do people want to know Jesus by knowing me? Do people want to know my God because they've interacted with me today? And we think about that even when it comes to our actions. Say, will this choice bring people closer to God or create an obstacle? So we aim to make God look good by living compassionately, righteously, and responsibly so that others can come to Christ. And the second way that we live for the glory of God is found in the first verse of chapter 11. And Paul literally just says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He says, we glorify God by making him look good and by mimicking Christ's example. Friends, Jesus is a perfect example of doing life with sinners, yet without sin. And I know some of you already was like, well, that's Jesus. That, he, he, he couldn't or he didn't sin. I get it. I get it. You and I are not Jesus. We are, we, are good. we are going to slip up. I understand that. But let's just look at Christ's example for a second. See, Jesus hung out with guys who drank but never got drunk. Jesus hung out with people with sinful pasts, yet never committed sexual immorality. Jesus ate with wicked tax collectors, but never stole from other people. Jesus lived among sinners but never excused or approved of their sins. Jesus never gave off the vibe that their sin was okay. So we live for the glory of God amid unbelievers by entering into their world but bringing the light of Jesus with us. So don't be afraid of befriending unbelievers. Get to know them, share life with them, and show God's love and compassion. And if, if I were to be honest, many of us feel that if I have a close friend who's an unbeliever, who is living like an unbeliever, 
they're just going to pull me in. And I'm just going to end up doing what, doing what they're doing. And for those people, I say, listen, just learn to draw a line and say, yeah, I can, I can you know, hang out with you, but I'm not going to do that. Understand where that line is for you. But don't be afraid of doing life with people that don't know Jesus yet. For some of you, you befriending that person is going to be a, a step in the direction that they take to, to trust in Jesus as their, as their Lord and Savior. So for some of you, don't be afraid to enter into their world. For others of you here, you guys are actually really good at entering into the world of, of unbelievers. But up to this point, they may not know you're a Christian or you haven't stood up for anything. For you folks today, understand, yes, you are a follower of Jesus and you've been sent into the world, but know that your first allegiance isn't, isn't to be accepted by others. Your first allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And so I'm not saying to not go. I'm not saying to not go out into the world. I'm saying go out into the world with a plan and understand that, listen, it's good to have unsafe friends. But go with a plan and go with the guidance of the Holy Spirit saying, God, is this good here? Is, is this the line that you want me to draw? Can I at least let them know that, that, I, that I'm a follower of Jesus? And so the, the middle ground is probably somewhere in between that, right? Don't be afraid of unbelievers. Do life with them. But go in as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we live for the good of our neighbor and the, and the glory of God. That is how we live faithfully in a fallen world. These principles will guide us. And as we close today, I just want to give you three prayers to pray each, each day as, as you wake up, as you enter into the world of unbelievers. And I feel like this is important because, one, I don't know every situation here. But I do know this, that God goes with us each and every step of the way. And as we, as we enter into each day, like on a sailboat, you raise, you raise your sails. And sailboats, the way they work, you get the sails up, and then the wind kind of takes you wherever it wants to go. So each day you raise your sails and saying, Lord, I'm ready to be, to be led and guided by you. And, and you do so by praying these three prayers. One, God, help me to be a blessing to others. As you begin your day, this puts other people on your radar. How can I bless them? God, help me be a blessing to other people. Secondly, you pray, God, help me stand for the gospel. God, I know as I rub shoulders with unbelievers, there may be a point today where people's perception of me will change because of a decision that I have to make. God, help me to make the right one. Give me wisdom and discerning what that may be. And lastly, God, help me to make you look good. God, and whatever happens in my workplace, in my classroom, um, as I'm walking with my family around our block, God, help me make you look good today. And church, I firmly believe if we do those things, God's going to lead you, God's going to be with you, and God's going to give you the wisdom that you need to make a difference in this world today. I've talked a lot today. 
directed to the church. But I don't want to end my sermon today without also mentioning that there may be people here who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And if there's never been a, been a time or place in your life where you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, give me 30 more seconds. Because listen, we believe that God loves you. That God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And that you are not here by accident. But even though God loves you, the Bible says that all of us are sinners. All of us have sinned. Sin is anything. Something that we think, something that we say, something that we do that goes against God's plan for our lives. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God doesn't leave us in our sin. And 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus to, who lived a perfect life as an example of what it looks like to follow God. But he died on the cross in our place for our sins, paying the debt of sin that you and I owed God because of our actions. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, like promising that anyone who places their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus can have eternal life. So if you are here today and you've never made that decision, know that that, that is the most important decision you will ever make. And so if you're here and you've never made it, and you feel God calling your, call, drawing your heart to himself today, Know that that invitation is still open for you to leave this place today, knowing that you are a child of God, that your sins are forgiven, that you make the choice to turn from your sins and live for Jesus today. So there are, there are a couple of things that you can do. One, you can simply mark it on your Connect card that you, that you would like to begin a relationship with Jesus, and someone will follow up with you this week. Or you can come up here if you'd like some more information about what it looks like um, to be a follower of Jesus and make that decision for yourself. We have material, material up here that is free for you. Just come take one, read it, and then get back to us. Or you can find myself or Pastor Mike or one of our elders after the service. We'd love to have that conversation with you. But know that that invitation to be a follower of Jesus is open for you today. We would love for you to take that step of faith, that first step of faith this morning. So, hey, I want to finish up. I'm going to invite the praise team and our prayer team forward uh, to close us out in one more song. Um, and as we do, uh, I just invite you guys to stand up. Let me pray over you, and then we'll, uh, we'll close our time today singing uh, one more song this morning. So let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you for your love. God, I thank you, Lord, that you haven't sent us out into this world with no principles or and no wisdom, God, how to rub shoulders with unbelievers, God, but you have called us, Lord, um, to live for the good of our neighbor and the glory of God. God, I pray, Lord, that you would use our people this week to be a blessing to someone else, that, they would, that, that unbelievers would see their commitment, God, to be followers of you, Lord, and that they would live in such a way to make you look good and do ministry just as Jesus did ministry by entering into the world of sinners, um, by not, but still living righteous and holy lives, God. So God, I pray, Lord, that you, would, that you would send us out to a world that so desperately needs love and hope today. And that you would use our church family, God, to be a blessing to someone and draw them closer to your son, Jesus. We love you, God. We pray all these things in your name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.